We are looking at the bride of Christ today. I felt led by the Holy Spirit to speak into this uh, about the love of Jesus for his church. And so we're going to start in the place, we're gonna, the place we're going to begin is right at the end. We need to see where the whole thing called human history is headed in order for us to have an accurate picture. In order for us to have an accurate picture of God's intentions in leading us through the experiences of life. What is the end result of what we call human history? Let's look at Revelation 21. Revelation means the unveiling. Let's see what it says in Revelation 21, verses 2 to 4. Can you make the lights a little bit dimmer so people can read a bit better, please? Thank you. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. This is right at the end of age, guys. The culmination of human history is a wedding ceremony. This is the reality that God has held in his heart from the beginning of time. And this is a central theme that runs throughout the Bible. And we're going to look at it today to encourage our hearts. Hallelujah. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. And the Bible says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Wow. These words of healing and comfort come from our Father to assure us that we are valued and that we are precious to our Heavenly Father. It is in His, in his identity as our Father that we are adopted as His sons, but we come to understand the pleasure of His goodwill as we look on into um, chapter 5, and we're going to look at that first. But we see here, from that scripture we just read now, that God, even before the foundation of the world, He chose you and He destined you to be holy and blameless in His sight, in love. Isn't that just amazing? Incredible, guys? Let's look at Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wow. 
That is your destiny, guys. Doesn't that look beautiful? Let's read on in verse 31 and 32 of Ephesians 5. It says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So the picture of marriage is a profound mystery because really, behind the scenes, God is speaking about Christ and the church. And we're going to look at that in more detail right now in the Bible. The whole reason we were chosen from the beginning of time was so that the passionate heart of Jesus would be satisfied. We were redeemed and adopted for a purpose. And that purpose was that Jesus might present us to himself as his perfect counterpart, washed in his blood and filled with glorious beauty and made fully like him. We were created and we were redeemed for romance. And because of that fact, we now have the hope that our deepest longings for intimacy and significance will be satisfied through our relationship with Jesus. The passion that has burned in the heart of God since the beginning is the passion to have a partner for his son. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. It says, Then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. This statement here is made by the master craftsman during the time of the creation of the worlds. And we know from John chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that through Jesus, all things were made. So here in this scripture, Jesus is the master craftsman by the side of God. And he was fashioning all that is made simply by speaking it into existence. The process of creation was carried out in the delightful relationship between the Father and the Son. Jesus was and is the Father's constant delight. Did you see in that scripture? It says, I was his delight daily. Okay? This is the truth about the, their relationship. Jesus was and is the Father's constant delight. And the expression, the way Jesus expressed like to the Father, it says here in the scripture, I was rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world. This is a very rich word, the word rejoicing, because it carries with it the emotional content, both of laughing, of singing, of dancing, of leaping, of whirling, and even joking. Joy that Jesus was celebrating with as he was creating the earth. And what is so amazing here is if you look in verse 31, we are told that the focus of the Son's joy and delight is what? The human race, the sons of men. 
There was such a fervent, eager love in the heart of the second person of the Trinity that he danced and he whirled and he sang and he told jokes with the Father as he made the world and formed us to be his special treasure. It's so hard for our minds to perceive God's heart in all of this. But I want you to open your hearts and let Holy Spirit minister this truth into your heart as we look into the scriptures further and see what God's heart is towards us. The primary purpose of prayer is that we might come to know the heart of the one who loves us and who understands who we are and what we will become. He alone knows your true identity and his words empower us to live in that identity as he speaks over our lives. Amen. I want to go back to the very beginning of your Bible in the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at Adam and Eve this morning and the creation of Adam and Eve. When the Lord God, when the Lord God first set man in the garden, he did something very interesting. He allowed the newly formed human to experience what it was like not to have a counterpart right from the beginning, as all the other creatures did. Have you ever thought about that? How God created all the animals, male and female? Why didn't he just create Adam and Eve together? What was the point of that, God? It was the only thing in the whole creation that God said was not good, that Adam was alone. Everything else was good. Why did he create Adam alone and then say it was not good? I think God was trying to make a point, and I hope you're going to catch that point this morning. Why did God do this? Why not create them together? Maybe, and I believe this with all my heart, that something was churning in God's heart that could only be understood by Adam through the experience of loneliness and deprivation. And the sense of exhilaration and wonder at the completeness he realized when Eve was brought to him. And here in this place, right here in Genesis, we read in chapter 2, verse 24, the scripture that says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now, have you ever, I don't know if you ask questions like I do, but have you ever wondered about this? Why did God say, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and goes to be joined to his wife? Did Adam have a mother and father? He was the first man created. Why would God say this statement here in the beginning that this is why a man and a, a, a man leaves his mother and father when Adam didn't even have a mother and father? He had no parents to cling, that he had to leave to cling to Eve. But Paul explains this in Ephesians, and that's what we saw just now. We read that scripture, that it is referring to Christ and the church. Here in Genesis already, we see a statement of leaving and cleaving, reflecting God's plan for Jesus to come in the flesh, leaving his heavenly home with his father, 
and cling to his human bride. Already here, right at the beginning, is a prophetic word that God is speaking from the beginning of creation that he's going to redeem for himself a bride for his son. The taking of the woman, again, from his side. Have you ever wondered why did God create Eve like that? He molded Adam out of clay, right? Why didn't he just take some more clay and mold another Eve? He didn't. He put Adam to sleep and he took out of his side rib and flesh and molded the woman. And when, she, when he woke up, he saw this beautiful woman that God had made for him. The taking of a woman from the side of a man out of his very flesh and bone was different from every other creation. We see it now as a picture of the bride taken from the riven side of the crucified Christ, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. Jesus identified permanently with our humanity without negating his divinity. He then exalts us, you and me, his bride, to the incredible place of fellowship and partnering with the triune God in life. Isn't that an amazing thing? That he would come from his throne and let go of all that he had there to meet us where we were at and raise us up to sit with him in heavenly places and to become that perfect spotless bride that he has called us to be. How beautiful. Now, as I said, this theme goes through your Bible throughout, and there are many stories that we could look at. But today, I want to look specifically at the story of Isaac and Rebecca because there's so much symbolism in this story that is reflecting the heart of God for us as his bride. So we're going to read it together because it's difficult for me to explain the symbolism if you don't remember the story well. So bear with me. There's a few scriptures to get through, but it's a cool story. So let's look at this beautiful representation of the bridal theme that prophetically speaks of what God has in mind for his people as he pursues them for the sake of his beloved son. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 24 and from verse 1 we're going to read. Abraham was now very old. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. Isn't that beautiful? We're the children of Abraham. And the blessings of Abraham are ours as well. We can claim this in our lives. God's blessing on us in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but, uh, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. And then we're going to skip a few scriptures here and go to verse 10. It says, Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. And he sets on out on this long journey. And when he arrives, we see in verse 11, it says, He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time 
the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful. She was a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there any room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the God, the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Wow. Good. I hope you stuck with me in that story. Isn't it a beautiful story? We haven't read the end yet, but let me just catch up and let's talk a little bit about the symbolism here. Abraham is searching for a suitable wife for his son Isaac. And when we look at Isaac's birth, it was supernatural, right? Um, Abraham and Sarah were well beyond their years and being able to be in the childbearing age, but God gave him the son of promise, and that is just similar to Jesus. He was also born of a supernatural birth. He was born of the Virgin Mary, and he was a son of promise. And as we look at the name of Isaac, his name, Isaac, means son of laughter. And when we look in Psalms 45 and verse 7, there's a scripture that describes Jesus. It says, you love justice and you hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. So Jesus is portrayed as the most joyous human being because of his love for righteousness. 
So Isaac's name is a preview to the heart of the true bridegroom. Are you with me so far? Awesome. Let's keep going. We see the type of Christ in the beautiful and gripping portrayal of Isaac being sacrificed by his father. Do you remember that story when God spoke to, to Abraham and said, I want you to sacrifice your only son for me. And when we see this happening, just at the last moment when Abraham is about to kill Isaac, in that last moment, God declares that he himself will provide a sacrificial lamb. And we know from history that the Father sent his only son to die for us. He became the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So this was also, it happened in real life, but it was a symbolic picture of God's heart for the church, ready to give his son out of love for the church. So in the beginning of the passage that we were looking at here, Abraham declares his longing to find a suitable bride for Isaac, and he does not want him to have anyone from the foreign Canaanite women, but from among his own people. And God has made us his people, his chosen nation. We read earlier in Ephesians that we've been adopted as his sons and daughters. So God is not looking just for any kind of bride for his son. He's looking for a bride from his own people. And that is you and me, the church of Jesus Christ. We are that people. And he sends his old trusted servant, Eliezer, to go back to his country that he can focus, that is the focus of the father's heart among his own people to find a suitable wife. So in this story that we're reading here, Eliezer, he fulfills a dual role in the picture of the gospel. First of all, he stands in the role of the man Christ, okay? So he's the servant, but it's also a picture of Jesus Christ, who is a servant, has a servant heart, who came to the earth. He left, a just as he left, um, Eliezer left Abraham and went on a long journey to the people, um, to Abraham's people, in the same way, Eliezer, the servant, in the same way Jesus left his father's throne and came a long way here to look for his bride. So coming to the earth as God incarnate, yet he was not presented in his regal power and majesty. I think many people would have expected Jesus to arrive in pomp and splendor, but we all know last month we were celebrating the birth of Jesus, which was the most humble way that he could come born to this poor family and being born in a manger. He came as a servant. And he took with him gifts from the father's house to woo the prospective bride. Gifts that were made to indicate the wealth of the father's house without overwhelming her freedom to choose whether she would accept the proposal from the husband, from the husband-to-be or not. So the servant sets out on the long journey to the bride's country. As we said, this is a picture of the incarnation. And he meets her in a place designed to reveal her spirit of servanthood. We see her near the well. 
near Rebecca's hometown, and it was just around the time when it was time to draw water. Now the test for the bride that Eliezer was looking for was not only that she should be beautiful, that was important, she should be beautiful, but there was something else that he was looking for. He was also looking for a willingness to serve with gladness of heart. And this is very important because Jesus is looking for a bride with a servant's spirit. Okay? This is not because he's a taskmaster and that he wants someone who needs to help him all the time. But it is because he himself is a servant and is seeking a like-minded partner. Those of you who were with us in prayer yesterday, we were looking at this very theme. We were praying for our church, for God to raise up people with a servant heart to serve one another and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because that is the characteristic of the bride of Christ, that she is a servant bride. If you think of Jesus and remember, he is the son of God and yet he took a towel and wrapped around his waist and he knelt before his disciples and washed their feet and then he said to them, now you go and do likewise. That is what Jesus wants us to have, that kind of spirit. That is what he's looking for in his bride. And he said when he asked for this water, from her, a drink of water from the well. This again is a prophetic shadow that is fulfilled between Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You remember that story? It's exactly the same picture where the, the um, Eliza comes and asks for a drink of water. In the same way, Jesus did the same thing. And we see it in John chapter 4. Just as Eliza encountered Rebecca, so Jesus encountered the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And so Jesus encounters us in our places of thirst and need. Rebecca, as we read, she serves him gladly and she goes the extra step of watering his ten camels. And I'm sure a camel drinks a lot of water. Imagine, not only one, but ten. I think that was hard work. It wasn't just an easy thing she did, but she did it with gladness of heart. And he was a complete stranger, but it just shows her heart. And he eventually inquires about her family and has a meal with them. This is also a picture of Jesus' willingness to fellowship with you and me and dine with you. We read in Revelation 3.20 that he says, listen, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. If you hear me, open up. Let me come in and I'll share a meal together with you as friends. That's what the Bible says. And that's Jesus' desire for you and for me today. Although Rebecca had never met Isaac, something happened in her heart and she was so eager to go with Eliezer to this foreign land, to this foreign husband. I wonder how many of you girls here today, if a man showed up like that, a stranger, and asked you to come back with him on a long journey to a man you've never met to marry. I wonder how many of you would take that step of faith. But she did. And her father and her family sent her and released her with their blessings. So she went with Eliezer to realize her destiny. In the same way, Jesus came to this bride's country 
in the guise of a servant, sharing the gifts of the Father's house. Jesus brought with him when he came here to earth, healing. He brought with him the kingdom of God and deliverance. And these were to show the richness of his Father. The servant bride, having seen the heart of the Father through the life of the servant, she falls in love with the Son. And she loves him, even though she's not yet seen him in his eternal power and glory. She's only seen him in the guise of a servant, in his humanity. And the Bible says that by comparison, he has no form of comeliness that he should be desired. In Isaiah 53, which is a prophetic word about Jesus, it says that he had no outward appearance that should attract us to him. And that is because he came in that guise of a servant. But if your heart is listening this morning and you are really going after Jesus and say, I want you, Jesus, do you know what? He becomes that treasure that is greater than anything else. He becomes your exceedingly great reward. It's like as you get to know him, the beauty of who he is begins to shine forth. And one day, you as a bride will see him in all of his glory and splendor when he returns for his bride. Amen? Her long journey is a picture of the Christian life. A journey through the wilderness. The bride making herself ready in the context of her riding through the difficult desert terrain on the back of a camel. And it pictures our walk of faith on our way to heaven. In this part of the story, Eliezer takes on a different role. He takes on the role of the Holy Spirit who becomes Rebecca's guide and her friend. Keeping her focus on the beauty of the sun so that she will have the grace to endure the journey. Amen? Are we together? Good. Well, we're going to look at the end of the story. What happens when they arrive? Let's look at verse 62. It says, Now Isaac had come from Beer Laharoi, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is this man in the field coming to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. Finally, the ordeal is complete. Isaac is delighted with his new bride. He is captured by this beautiful woman. Do you know the name Rebekah means snared by beauty? beautiful bride that has been provided for him by the desire of his father's heart. Their union is a full-blown picture of the culminating day in human history when we will all meet our bridegroom. The veil will be taken away. 
We shall see Jesus as he is, and we shall be like him, forever joined with him as his bride. Wow, what a beautiful story. Now this story of Isaac and Rebecca that we've been looking at, it's a true story. It really happened. But God put it in there for you and me to understand through this picture presented God's heart for us as he pursues his people. He is after a bride for his son, the one in whom is all his delight. He finds this beautiful bride and his heart is fully satisfied with her. When we look at all the fairy tales that are in history, they flow from a deep subconscious desire for our hearts to play a role in this beautiful love story. Um, we look at Cinderella. She was a mistreated orphan that nobody cared about, but she becomes the object of the prince's passionate desire to make her his bride. He turns the whole city, the whole nation upside down looking for Cinderella to make her his bride. And then we have another um, fairy tale of the beautiful Snow White. And here we see her under a spell that she's been poisoned by this apple for a hundred years. And what wakes her up? The kiss of love from the prince is the only thing that can awaken her. Isn't that a picture of Jesus and his bride? The subconscious longing and desire in our heart to be loved for who we are. Even if you look in another story that is maybe more popular, is the, the story of Shrek. How many have watched Shrek? Yeah? Okay, well, there's several series. But a few times in those series, we also see um, that it's only the kiss of true love that is going to turn Fiona into a beautiful princess. Do you see the same thing repeated over and over again? The king of kings will have his glorious bride and the desire of his heart will be satisfied. We see the stories clearly through scripture and I could mention a number of them to you, but we're just going to look at one more place as we close today. And I want to look at the Song of Songs. When you see Song of Songs, it's really saying it's the song of all songs. Just like when we say King of Kings, we meet the King above all kings. So guys, this is quite an astonishing claim from this book to call itself the Song of All Songs. And it demands that we consider it in comparison to every song that was ever composed in history and on earth and reach the conclusion that it is the best expression in the art of music making. In the entire history of the universe, it is the song of all songs. I wonder how many of you have read this song. Right in the middle of your Bible, there's that song of all songs. The declaration alone with this title confronts us with the truth of the burning heart of God that it is a romantic reality. That the basis of all music in the universe is romantic love. And out of that reality, God communicates to us his passion for you and me. His passion for the bride. 
On the first day of our fast, when we started 15 days ago, the Holy Spirit read me, led me to read the Song of All Songs. And I read it through, and I wrote in my diary, in my, my booklet, I wrote, I'm not sure what God's trying to communicate to me here. That was what I wrote. But from that day on, the Holy Spirit began to be real and open up my heart to understand the love of Jesus for me. And one of the days, one of the evenings that we were at Rukahab in prayer, suddenly Jesus spoke to my heart from Song of Songs 4-7. Let's look at this beautiful scripture in Isaiah 4 and verse 7. It says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And the word struck me so strongly because Jesus, is this really how you see me? And maybe some of you are thinking the same thing. How can you say about me that I'm altogether beautiful? My darling, there is no flaw in you. It's so hard for us to believe those words because we see how flawed we are in our lives. We know our shortcomings. We know how much we failed. How can Jesus see us as all beautiful? But you know what? God is timeless. He sees the end from the beginning. And he sees how his love is able to empower and transform you and me to become the bride that is ready for his return. Right now, the Word of God says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? God wants to touch your heart with intimacy this morning. I just want to encourage you. Let's stand up together right now. The Lord wants to touch you with His heart of intimacy this morning. We were singing in the songs earlier today. How his overflowing, never-ending, wretched God is like a mighty ocean. And this is